Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. and have a brew we are back for another super fan chat i am super fan jeremy and i am joined for this episode by super fan alice hello <sighs> the crowd is going wild <laughs> the wild There's some rabid super fans out there oh thanks Thank you. guys Thank oh you. calm it down calm it down it's too much <laughs> <laughs> so many people they listen to the show for the super fan chats. oh yeah it's all Just about so this <laughs> <laughs> it's just preparation for the super fan chats. Um, what a trio of episodes. Holy goodness me. What a lot happened. Um, many doors. Yeah, so many doors. So and many so, doors. like, it's so tense. Yes. Like, it was it, the whole, the whole thing was just like from beginning to end. The fact that they managed to stretch it out over this many episodes still, with, <laughs> after how much build up, I feel like we've had so much build up for it. And even across all those episodes, I think it still managed to maintain the, the tension oh my God. for me. Yes. Throughout. Absolutely. There was a lot of maintaining yeah. tension happening. Yeah, uh, and we got like some humor. We got some hijinks. We got some. We got a lot of mystery. We got big twists. We had violence. <laughs> we had everything. Uh, loved this set of episodes. So much violence. Um, yes, <laughs> very some some of the more graphic violence we've had yeah, in the series. Full decapitation. Uh, Hello. Yeah, in episode sixty-eight. Do you want to jump in then on episodes sixty-seven and sixty-eight and walk us through? I, I, them? I'm going to try. I'll have a break in between. <laughs> and we are actually, for the record, we're doing episode 67, 68, and 69 Wait. in this episode. <laughs> let's go ahead. Okay. Let's, let's start. Let's go ahead and start going down. Okay. Oh, let's do it. Um, so episode 67, Chargelt Hall. So we are just about to delve into Chargelt Hall. So uh, Orin steals the watch from Guy and keeps hold of his wrist as they rush into the garden and through the gate successfully. Hooray! Uh, yeah, it looks really pretty in there, um, which I'm sure is something that they spend a lot of time admiring the gardening. And uh, they notice the lion and Orin picks mm. up some gravel to chuck it back through the barrier. Uh, and and this is some sort of foolproof method, method to work out that they can safely get 
back, although I don't know whether they are equivalent to gravel. So I'm not sure how scientific a test that really was. But right. he seemed confident. Yeah, I mean, um, it works to try and like, I guess, because they were trying to set off the lion, right? They were trying to see if it would react. Well, I think so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And and fortunately, while he was doing that, Gwendolyn like did parkour up the line in order to stroke its left ear three times. Mm-hmm. and uh, used a bit of poisoned grace, which led to some interesting semantics. Uh, she did not poison herself. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. And they walk past, and it doesn't attack them by potentially leaping off its splint, so all appears to have gone well. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're, they're set off in kind of like a, a tour guide way, where Guy is clutching some blades of grass that they all to follow, and they find an unlocked back door. Uh, and they decide to go in, despite Enkidu shouting, it's a trap, uh, which means he's the Admiral Akbar of the episode. Um, <laughs> it opens into a ballroom. Admiral Enkidu. <laughs> yeah, he'd make a great admiral. Um, yes, he would. <laughs> uh, and they find out that all the curtains that freaked him out so much from the outside are actually illusions, and the windows are all open into a beautiful ballroom, which looks very much like Beauty and the Beast. Mm. I love these twists. <laughs> what the illusion? There's like there's so many, like the the little, tw- yeah, the little illusory twists. Like yeah. uh, I, 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 shout out to Baby David because the number of like little like bits that'll be like you thought it was this, <laughs> yeah. but it's actually yeah. this. That is, it's like, dude, the level of planning yeah. that went into this whole because it's like a dungeon crawl, essentially an extended exactly. dungeon crawl. Really, did impressive. you ever get Nightmare yeah. um, in? in america um the, like the show yeah it show? was a show and probably way before your time but when i was a kid there was an amazing show called mm. nightmare and it was basically you enter a room and like it's just got like a kid with a helmet and they're basically blindfolded and its friends can see the computer graphic version of the room and they go oh uh immediately in front of you there is a giant and to your left there's certain death and they'd always walk their friend into the death it was great it was a great show um <laughs> but yeah, that it was really awesome. good. Uh, and uh, this episode reminded me a lot of that. It was like, you enter a room, there are several doors. And yeah, loved it. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they enter the ballroom and there are several doors in front of them. Three. <laughs> uh, they decide to go to the one to the left and uh, they can hear music. So they back quickly off that because it's probably someone inside there. They go to the middle door instead. They don't see any people, but they see portraits of historical arcanists and they realise that they're all the Archmagi. Um, and they finally get a glimpse of Petrogranius. Mm. So they know what she looks like, a small blonde human. Uh, and they go, they're in a foyer with two doors uh, with a spiral staircase going up and down and a corridor leading off to potentially more doors. So from uh, the divination that they've done, they know to go downstairs. So they head down... Uh, reaching the three minute mark David kept sort of ticking off the time which was really adding to that tension yeah and uh, yeah they find themselves in a well-lit basement and uh, they find out well Orin finds out because he's got detect invisibility that um, that the the reason it's lit is because of an invisible scrying orb so Orin warns everybody to be quiet and uh, maybe stop using magic it's a stressor Mm -hmm. Um, and there are six doors leading off the basement space which are uniform utilitarian and all closed um 
They open to find a laundry room with active laundry magic and a lot of doors. They don't open any of those. They just close the laundry right up again. And uh, Juno looks behind, finds a storage door. They open another door and sort of find more staff bedrooms. And uh, they find a kitchen, which is incredibly busy. Again, zero people inside actually making it work. So it's basically Fantasia going on downstairs. Uh, And they find another storeroom and... Enkidu figures that they have to go back up to go down, but Orin decides to cast Detect Magic, uh, running both programs on his goggles, uh, to see if there's anything hidden and spots an abjuration Mm -hmm. spell at the base of the stairs, which means that the stairs continue down Mm -hmm. past what we can see. Uh, So that was awesome. And uh, he casts Identify, and um, he finds out that they need a magical amulet for access. So the guy suggests that they go up and try the music room so he goes there with Orin and Gwenjina and Enkidu run upstairs to see if there's a bedroom anywhere that might belong to Petrogranius and might contain an amulet so we got to this first floor with Gwenjina and Enkidu and uh, David says there are a huge number of doors on the first floor or five um, and uh, Gwen uses, I, I guess, like the ability to be a posh person to work out that the main bedroom is the fourth <laughs> door down and finds it locked. She completely fails to pick it the lock. Uh, so Enkidu misty steps inside the room, which was a great moment. And uh, and he finds a reference to Dwayne yeah. Fabulosa's Feather Adventures, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. That was so nice. Yeah. yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. And then he lets the others in. Uh, Gwen goes inside a dressing room and Enkidu steals some of the jewellery. Uh, and uh, Juno acts like she's in an escape room and discovers that there inside the wardrobe is a clever little homeward door, which I think was one of those lovely Baby David uh, sort of little tricks so all of those doors inside the laundry room just lead to all the bedrooms that was great i love that mm-hmm. uh although i would be disappointed if i was like trying to find narnia and i just found mm-hmm. a laundry room yeah it'd be deeply upsetting <laughs> but it's the laundry room has it's is alive it's a fantasia laundry room so it's it's not a complete loss yeah well true true <laughs> and then so they head down because <laughs> there's a flight of stairs in there they head down and find an office space and uh, while they're doing that, Guy and Orin head into the corridor, snaking off the f- foyer, uh, which is the second half of the gallery. And they see two doors. So they try the nearest one to find a library that nearly takes Orin out. Uh, and, you know, he really fights against everything inside him and closes the door on that. Yeah. The tensest um, moment of, of the entire trio of episodes. <laughs> Will Orin just be lost to the library? <laughs> <laughs> Um, so they try the next door, which is a conference room and similarly lacking in anything of interest except some moving paintings. But they find another door to an office and meet the others coming down. So they are all uh, united again. Um, and Kidu sits at the desk and sees some arcane markings on the edge of the desk, uh, which looks like a passcode. And Orin figures out that um, the documents on the shelves are sort of there, but they need to be kind of conjured from the not quite there that they are. Um, and uh, then tries to figure out the passcode. But while he tries to work this out, Petrogranius walks down the stairs into the room and it all goes very mm. tense. Everybody turns into statues apart from Juna, who immediately casts Detect Thoughts and hears, uh, do your best, Petra, and uh, then casts Polymorph on the extremely obviously faceless footman and uh, eventually turns him into a slug. <laughs> 
which was great. But she does it literally at the moment that Petrogranius has walked across the ballroom and managed to open the door to the music room inside, mm. which we don't know. Yes. Oh, what's it going to be? Mm. Oh, what's inside? Uh, that slug... That slug strategy gave me such strong like flashbacks to a can- a homebrew a home game that I ran where like the big villain of the campaign got sp- mm-hmm. basically there's a move uh shout out for anybody or to anybody who actually plays D&D if you play a druid uh, or any 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 uh class that can get I think summon fey creatures uh, I think um, there or maybe just to summon Fey. I can't remember. But there's a there's a spell that you can use to. Oh, it's I think it's conjure woodland. It's maybe conjure woodland beings. But you can you basically summon uh, pixies and pixies have the spell uh, uh, polymorph. Incredible. They have like one HP, but they all have polymorph. You can summon theoretically eight pixies and <laughs> just and even though the DC is only like 10, you can just have them all cast polymorph on something and it has to make 10 straight saves. And if it fails one, <laughs> it's done. And one of my players did that to the big bad of my campaign and turned him into a slug. And I was like, <gasps> like when she did that, it was like, oh, man. Oh. Yeah, uh, so that's a very effective strategy. Of, of of the animals that you could turn them into, one of the better ones, because it just sits there and can't do anything. Oh, it's yeah. such a good idea. What what can you do as a slug? You just mourn your new existence, really. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah, you have no, no recourse. You just hope that no one <laughs> brings any salt near you. <laughs> exactly. You just go and eat some yeah. leaves. Uh, that's, the, that's your best bet. Uh, what about the like the level of detail in this in this entire building? is really impressive. And that's a theme throughout all, uh, throughout the campaign, frankly, but also especially through these episodes. Just the fact that it's like, oh, if you go through these specific set of doors in that order, you end up in the same spot that these people are going to. Yeah, it's amazing. I think David must have an incredible sort of imaginary spatial awareness because when I'm listening to it, I can't picture it all as closely as he clearly can because he's Mm -hmm. got such an uh, excellent idea of where everybody is at each point Mm. and i don't i can't do it at all yeah i I wonder if he has like a map or like a blueprint that he's that he's drawn out oh he must do yeah Yeah, like a floor plan of the building yeah Um, and maybe he uses like the the figures to move them around the map so that he's able to work out i could see that yeah. yeah, like, because I know that they have used maps in combats before. Uh, like, when I when I guessed it on the show, they used maps for um, the Chuggalug. Was it the Chuggalug? Or the Chuggalong? I can't remember. I uh, whichever boat we were on. Yeah. I, I, the reason I get it confused is because whichever one it wasn't, I made up <laughs> the other one and convinced the guards to go away. So <laughs> when we were on the boat, he had, like, a map of the boat that we were on oh. that, uh, so that we could, like, dis- especially, like, the part where we fought in. Uh, so that I wonder if he had something like that that he had made for this and knew where all the doors or was he doing a sneaky DM trick and he was just like, look, they've gone through enough doors. I'm going to have it sneak back around in the moment because <laughs> we wouldn't know the difference. <laughs> I don't know which I'd prefer, to be honest. Yeah, I, there's, I, I, they're both I, great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want extensive maps. I think I've decided, actually. Mm, yeah, that's I mean, that's so much planning. And the fact that they had like not only just the maps being extensive, but the number of puzzles in every room in every area. 
Yeah. Do you reckon if they'd looked closer, there would have been a clue to the passcode of the desk or whether he just didn't, couldn't be bothered with them doing that? So that's why he brought Petra. Um, I think it was probably uh, they would have been able to look closer. But yes, we needed to move things along. And I think introducing yeah. the uh, the faceless footman in the guise of Petra just adds that. It just ratchets up the tension. Yeah. You know, because by that point, it's like, okay, we've managed to avoid any detection for this long. Okay, okay, we're in the same place, we're figuring it out, and then that gets introduced, and it's like, oh, no. Just when they start to feel like maybe they have a handle on it, or they're getting a handle on it, it, the rug is pulled. Yes, which is a a classic Baby David move, really. Okay, so And the other thing is... Yes. Oh, go ahead. No, no, what were you going to say? I was going to say the other thing is, even if... Uh, Juna had not read the faceless, fo- faceless footman's mind. They could have just like the faceless. The, what David could have been planning was to just have the footman figure it out themselves. Oh, what figure out that they're surrounded by the invisible people? No, but figure out the way down. <gasps> like figure out the puzzle. Oh, because if, cool. if you have if you have another NPC, yeah, because it's like this is a way of of getting past it it's like the faceless footman comes in is looking around and they're just like all standing there silently as what appears to be petrogranius <laughs> looks around the room and then is like oh and figures something out and then does it and they're like oh, wait a minute why would petrogranius have to be figuring this out like this it, i think that would be another means of doing it as yeah, well no good point yes absolutely uh shall we yeah, shall i carry top-notch on dming top notch absolutely yeah, okay, yeah, so... let's jump into 68. Episode 68, Slagfest! Um, so, Juna sneaks into the music room before the Arcanist can close the door because she has been spotted by the Arcanist inside or the door opening was spotted by the Arcanist. It's, yeah, it's doors yeah. and getting, you know, it's The confusing. presence of Juna has presence been presence of detained. Juna. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Um, yeah, so the Arcanist stands at the door looking over the ballroom and it is a half-elf and Guy reminds everyone that a half-elf half elf cannot be charmed. Um, so Juna looks at them a bit sort of closer to see how uh, the amulet is fastened and uh, spies a, a large blue gem hanging from a necklace uh, and uh, can easily see the clasp because the elf's head is shaved. Um, Guy immediately forgets his own warning uh, and suggests a sleep spell <laughs> that be put into the elf's food. Uh, um, one. So Juna just like pops some shambling mound on top of whatever the poor arcanist is doing. Um, and... Uh, mm-hmm. Gwen like runs over to the ballroom towards the music room and um, uh, Orin looks at the arcanist to detect extra magic and spots a possible weapon, which indicates this is, guard, this is a guard, basically. Mm-hmm. And they they sort of don't see anything, quotation marks, uh, and uh, goes back into the room and sort of performatively relaxes. And Gwen checks the door to see if the arcanist placed an alarm, which they did, but it was a proximity detector, so can't detect them because of the... They're still mm. under the influence of a bonbon. Um, so yeah, that was a good call yeah. though by Gwendolyn. Yeah, to she's check good at stuff door. like that. I mean, she's that was the traps. Really good call. Yeah, yeah good call, Grace. Person, really. So Guy sneaks into the room and organizes something with Gwen where he'll try something, and uh, Gwen gets ready to punch the arcanist in the back of the head should whatever Guy tries not work. Guy realizes mm. that he has to make music to cast a sleep spell, so starts singing a song and takes 15 points of damage from Klaniavet's spell, which is still on his buttock. Right, because he, ca- he casts it level. at fourth level. And again, right? forgetting completely that he can't <laughs> put a half elf to sleep. It was brutal. I mean, bless him. Oh. 
That's got to be that's got to be a top five like guy goof sort of moment like along alongside with the what the, the thousand something gold. Yeah. <laughs> Him reminding everyone, remember, half elves can't be charmed, and then immediately attempting to, to put the half elf to sleep. Yeah. Um. It was great. Yeah. That was amazing. And uh, so the half elf obviously does not fall asleep and fight. Uh, so uh, guy casts fairy mm-hmm. fire. Um, Orin tries to grab the necklace, but I think you know ends up just readying the action while uh, the arcanist gets punched by Gwen and then hit with the chromatic orb by Juna. Um, and then they respond. The Arcanist responds by shooting a glowing blade out of their hand, which was pretty cool, actually. And they start teleporting and swinging their sword around all the different mm-hmm. spots where they've been hit from before teleporting out into the ballroom. Um, Enkidu follows them there and summons Shadowspawn. And uh, I don't think I was the only one shouting Dr. Facilier at Chris as he tried to remember the bad guy from Princess and the Frog. Um, <laughs> yes. And then attacked the Arcanist with Hexblade Curse. Um, the Shadowspawn swipes at the Arcanist with a claw. And at this point, Orin kind of works out that scrying orbs are probably telling everybody uh, around them that maybe listen to the to the scrying orbs that uh, there's probably going to be some people running in soon and uh, then he runs to grab the amulet and uh, rolls a natural one and biffs it so yeah brutal he has to throw up a little umbrella shield as protection which was actually quite adorable the little shield coming out of his tattoo i, love I really love that yeah so gwendolyn spotted the tug at the necklace and decides to focus her efforts there as well uh they have a bit of a tug of war and gwendolyn wins and runs off in the direction of the basement uh gina mm-hmm. joins her and it took like three attacks right to get yeah, it they were like they were fighting over that for ages yeah yeah <laughs> and um i think she did like sight of hand and then she just yanked it basically yeah uh and then yeah they just leave the lads lads to continue to deal with the arcanist who sets off a fireball i nearly called her an arsonist which is really appropriate because fire um and they all (laughs) gotta burn down the (laughs) yes weird choice um and they they all enjoyed the fact this was their first ever fireball it was a real moment yeah Yeah, it's lovely uh which is amazing because we have we have a a sorcerer in the party that we have not had a fireball and they're like what level eight level nine at this point yeah oh she just really loves the chromatic orbs i guess like she's really sticking with that yeah, yeah that's what it is that and detect thoughts <laughs> so uh the fireball damages juna gwendolyn guy and the shadow spawn and causes juna to lose concentration so that the slug transforms back into fake petrogranius uh, the Arcanist runs over to protect her in some confusion and is sliced by Enkidu's scimitar before being decapitated by the faceless footman's terrifying dagger thing. Yeah, that like expands. Yeah, terror. Like it just split into three and just basically like, oh, uh, because it kind of popped out the other yeah. side. It was a graphic it's like a description. Almost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You stab and then it's spl- it's like a hollow point or any any number of things that like suddenly open yeah. up when they're in. Yeah, that's rough. It was rough. grim. That's rough. Yeah. It was a, a very good description. But also awesome. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so Guy attempts a polymorph again, which nearly kills him um, and his bum. Uh, doesn't work Uh, so they try and have a conversation with Petra she sort of you know they claim to be on the same side and ask them not to try making them into a slug again and uh, they start questioning her in Gus voices which I enjoyed Um, 
Mm-hmm. And establish that she is part of the children of Hagavuk, Havoc and here to help Pellegree and will work with them as long as they are there for the same thing. And uh, in that moment of trust, potentially, Enkidu chops her hand off or at least most of her hand. <laughs> so it's sort of dangling down. And then, That's <laughs> I know. and then the shadow spawn just kind of grapples her and drags her along. Uh, and they make their way down the stairs. She's just bleeding all over the floor. <laughs> They're very obvious. They've really got out. rid of like any sort of part <laughs> of that trace attempts. Um, yeah. Well, once that fight happens, it's what what clinches it is they have detectors there. Once they have stuff that can see, yeah. once they have all the scry orbs there, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Like anything you do, <laughs> even opening the doors invisibly is going to be like. When they go back and watch the footage, they're going to be like, wait a minute, what's that? Like anything you move, anything you touch. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming they know where Petrogranius is. So maybe as soon as they see her, they're sort of like hackles are raised. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that in itself. I, I'm, you know what would have been real nice <laughs> is if somebody had like suggestion. Oh, wouldn't it be Can great? Can you imagine if, uh... if somebody had suggestion <laughs> and had and had convinced? I don't think, I don't know if, because I, I know that Guy would theoretically have access to it as a bard. I don't know if Juna has access to it as a sorcerer or if Enkidu has access to it as a, a, a warlock. But wouldn't it be amazing if they had, like, cast a suggestion and convinced uh, the Faceless Footman to just do what they yeah. wanted and, like, basically and walked them through? So they're just invisibly following the Faceless <laughs> Footman who's trying to avoid all of the different obstacles as quickly as oh, possible. That would have been great. Yeah, that would have really saved them. Yeah, it? yeah, or Gaius. They, I don't know if they're. I can't remember if they're level nine yet. But if they have, if they're level nine, then they would have potentially have access to the Gaius spell, which is even stronger. Anyway, this is not me criticizing <laughs> them. This is me thinking like, oh, alternate things. Yeah. But like, you would think that what they did would work, uh, except for the scrying orbs, yeah. which render everything like that. That kind of just just kind of wins. Yeah. Well, what what they did have was the ring that got chopped off Gaius's finger. So that that was the main yeah. sort of but i don't know whether they would have thought about it with the panic and everything they just yeah. and you know enkidu got there first and chopped her hand off so unfortunately exactly. really. yeah so uh yeah, yeah the last tiny bit of the episode was that uh they made their way down the stairs and the amulet automatically opened the the flight of stairs and they could see mm-hmm. hundreds of feet descend below them and that's where the episode ended yeah and that's where we jump into episode 69 right uh it's an obligatory so yes way i think uh 69 episode episode 69 starts inexplicably with a series of jokes about the number of episodes (laughs) we've made thus far uh can't can't imagine why uh the party uh begins to uh go lower and lower penetrating deeper and deeper into this uh hole that they have entered (laughs) and they start to see uh they see some doors they 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 see some i think three doors on this level uh, none of which have keyholes but all of them seem unlocked uh the door uh the middle door is the first one that is opened and kidu goes in he leaves the shadow spawn outside with the faceless footman uh and this appears to be some kind of like arcane setup uh like with a bunch of circles and contraptions that allow you to imprison someone in the center circle it's like oh okay all right and uh simultaneously um juna goes into door on the right uh the door on the right and sees the same exact kind of contraption and both rooms empty other than that but then the center room gwendolyn goes in and sees the same kind of contraption same kind of setup with the with the rings and the circles and sees pellegrin <gasps> suspended 
in that circle contraption. We have circles inside of circles, <laughs> rings inside of rings. Uh, upon further investigation, Oren realizes that you could use these to torture the person inside of the circle. And realizing that as a horrific fact, decides not to tell anyone, especially in Uh <laughs> Pellegree has clearly been tortured already. Uh, Juna jumps in with her classic spells, Zone of Truth and Detect Thoughts. She's on it. Uh, Pellegree, though, resists her probing deeper right off the bat. She asks him, where's the henge key and what does it do? And I have to, I have to take my uh, currently non-existent hat off to Baby David for his description of her listening to a person and talking <laughs> while also reading their surface thoughts. I thought that was excellent and very evocative and very cool. Um, and he's he's basically just trying to dodge her questions. She gets a little bit of a memory. She gets memories of him putting the henge key into a chest and teleporting that chest away. But he's basically just being a slippery little snake <laughs> and attempts to confound her as she continues trying to push deeper with more floods of memories and more specific yeah. memories, including memories of his torture. Um, I was surprised. I don't know about you, but I was really surprised at how composed he was. Yeah, I, I feel like he was like that the last time they met him, though. I mean, obviously, he really had the upper hand with that one but yeah it does seem yeah. to be his thing which is interesting for a child of havoc yeah he's unflappable really is yeah yeah even in the face of torture yeah. uh and what could be mind games yes yeah. Because who knows, what if this is, what if the, what if these are like mind techniques, like to break him that the, that the arcanists are using to like pretend to be people that he recognizes that want to help yeah. him. It's like a Ramsey Bolton Game of Thrones sort of thing <laughs> where you're just like, they're trying to trick you into trusting them, which he refuses to yes. fall for right off the bat. I do think he is the brains of the operation, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. He's a smart oh. dude. Um, he he uh, implies he has other options, which may or may not have included the faceless footman. Uh, Juna tries to push deeper again. Now, this is an interesting one. And actually, I'm going to quickly look this up because every time Juna, it seemed as though every time Juna was trying to push deeper with detect thoughts that she was having to recast the spell. Mm -hmm. Every time she every time she fails, the spell automatically ends. Or every, rather, every time he succeeds on the save, right. the spell automatically ends. So she has to just keep recasting. Uh, so she casts it a second time. Uh, he resists again. <laughs> He does, though, mention that he's very curious about what is happening deeper into the building. Uh, and while this is all happening, we we keep jumping back over to Guy. Uh, and by the way, the 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 time ticking is happening in the background of this. At this point, they know that going upstairs is like going to be it's going to be rough trying to get out of here. They have minutes left, if not seconds left, on their non-detection abilities. Uh, they're going to potentially run out of invisibility. Visibility, even if they try to leave, they realize. Like, even if they were to try to leave now, they might actually run out of invisibility in that time. Gaius is running deeper down the stairs. He finds a floor with only one door, also with no keyhole. He opens it. He sees all these alcoves with bell jars containing busts of people. And he's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then there's a plinth at the far end. It's like, okay. He continues another floor down. He finds another room. <laughs> This one is lit by all, it's lit by lanterns. It has a bunch of obelisks in it, uh, in the middle of a room with a table and a bell jar. Uh, and before that, I should mention that the, the, uh, I believe the plinth at the far end strongly resembles the messaging mirrors that they saw in Crawl's Tower yeah. all that time ago. So, an interesting connection <laughs> there. Um, 
What well, I was ahead. just going to say, I called it. I said it last uh, last recap episode. I said it would be there, and it was. And I felt so smug. <laughs> what gave it away for you? Like what? 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 What made you uh, predict? Uh, that? I just thought, you know, this has to be one of the people that was part of that original little group. So where else would it be, especially if they need to sort of go into the basement? And I just thought it's going to be there, and it was. And yes, I felt great about myself. I always thought I was terrible at this sort of yeah. thing, but I made an accurate prediction. Yeah, an excellent yeah. call. An excellent call. Um, yeah, they they are like, oh, man. And that's not even the biggest twist. Because <laughs> uh, right after this, Juna tries one more <gasps> desperation detect thoughts. And this time, Pellegrini fails the save with a 13. Uh, he, Poor baby David. He made like... Four, he made three or four straight wisdom saves. I think even five, because Guy kept trying to cast, was it Guy or Oren who kept trying to cast Hold Person in the previous battle? And just oh, yeah. every time <laughs> it got resisted. Uh, that's so many wisdom saves in a row that he succeeded. Like his, he's got a good percentage, but unfortunately the failures have included a polymorph <laughs> into a slug and a pivotal detect thoughts. Um, she finds memories of him hearing that the Hex got a hold of the key for 10,000 gold pieces, something yeah. like that. Uh, and then and then this location that I believe was called Bear Bog. I think that's what they called it. Um, Bear Bog, which is like a swampy place that appears to be a location of a henge that like can rise up out of the swamp. And that is the location that the henge key allows you to open. It's like this swampy henge. Um, he doesn't really know like th th he's done a lot of research and he, there are all these references to the henge key as both a key and a weapon in writings mm. uh so very curious yeah. uh there he doesn't know where the key is though he just knows the children of havoc have it somewhere he sent it off he mm -hmm. doesn't know it's just in their possession uh and then we push even deeper for more information about the the children of havoc themselves and that's where we find that there are, aside from Pellegree, there are five major figures associated with the Children of Havoc. The Faceless Footman, who at this point I'm wondering is some kind of, if they're a doppelganger or if they're some kind of souped up changeling. The, I feel like those are the two most likely yeah. options uh, in terms of transformations. They definitely don't seem to have their own form, do they? Because no. even in, in his or imagination, if they do have a base form, it's, it's like transforming constantly. Yeah. Yeah, their base form may well. It, that's the thing. I just thought about it. A changeling, at least in canonically in in the mainstream fifth edition, a changeling when they die, they assume their original oh. form. Uh, and we do see the faceless footman die in this episode, and we don't ever no, see their base form, do we? Ripples. Yeah, it wasn't quite clear. And maybe it was like they got teleported away before we saw clearly. Uh, but it may just be that they're like a doppelganger. Yeah. Um, we have Dane the Archer, the who we've already encountered uh in yeah. this in this uh is one of the major figures. We have a dwarf man, a uh tiefling woman with a yellowish hue, and the dwarf is the only one we don't know, right? Yes. Yes. Uh and yeah. Yes, we don't know anything really about the dwarf. Uh, they were trying to probe <laughs> to no avail. Uh, but uh, the revelation of those figures was immediately overshadowed by the revelation that Heron Ilwyn is one of the five major figures of the Children of Havoc. And let me tell you, my reaction was immediately, oh, man, <laughs> who is that again? 
Uh, it yeah. was very clearly a huge <laughs> twist that I <laughs> I could not remember who Aaron Elwood is. For anyone who fell into the same <laughs> trap as me and has forgotten specifically who Aaron Elwin is, can you please explain, Alice, well, who uh, Aaron Elwin is? Aaron Elwin. And why uh, this is such a huge deal. Because it's clearly a, a massive deal. A pivotal part of the plot that we've had for this entire story. <laughs> so way back in episode, I want to say 11 or 12, maybe? Maybe later than that, but around then, mm-hmm. uh, certainly the first 20 episodes, mm-hmm. uh, he pops up at the knocking point and gives them uh, a, a mission to meet him in Vernot Rise. They meet him there. And then he gives them a mission to go around to all of the original arcanists. So Eric de Wingthrop, um, I forget everybody else, but, you know, probably Chargelt actually was on the list. Were they? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, it would make sense. It would make sense. Yeah, Chargell Hall with the So the, he yeah, gives the them that mission, and that is literally yeah. what they have been doing. Apart from, you know, occasionally trying to get some spoons. Yeah. Which has really tragically fallen by the wayside. Um, of course. With all yes. this actual adventure going on. <laughs> yeah, honestly. This, this is really, I mean, as great as the episodes were, it's really to the detriment of the spoons arc. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think after this, we're going to need to jump right back into the spoons, because I'm on the edge of my... <laughs> 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 That's gonna get cut. Uh, <laughs> uh, for clarity, uh, for clarity, Daryl, I do like the spoons arc. Uh, it's just funny to joke. <laughs> like, like full on, full on, like like kingdom, like massive deals, and then also as like a backdrop, uh, like a Pokemon uh, gym quest uh, for spoons. It's great. It's a great juxtaposition. Um, but, but uh, so immediately after this, their undetectability ends, and so does this. So does the detect thought spell, and it's like, <laughs> oh no, we got to go. Uh, and while Juno was doing this, or in tr- attempted to create a keyhole yeah. that they could use, he failed. Uh, he rolled a natural no. one. He still got to an eighteen, but he rolled a natural one and failed. Uh, so they're like, "Look, we got to go. We got to get out of here right now." And Kidu makes an executive decision yeah. and murders the faceless footman. Uh, just walks up, slices their throat. They flash through hundreds of forms that are like they seem to be like I. I uh, David was describing them as like shrinking, yeah. seemingly as they as they transformed, almost as well, if they were like, like de-aging. Or something or wasting away? I think they were just taking on all of the people that they had been. So there were probably bits that were younger and bits that were older, mm-hmm. and and I, I just got the the sense that they were sort of like a tapestry of person just rolling through all the different skins. Right, and maybe when they were younger, they used to in- impersonate more kids or something. Maybe I can imagine them still impersonating kids and like doing something awful by killing their parents, like looking like their children. Yeah, they very messed true. up. No, yeah, the faceless footman is not okay. Uh, and, uh, they're even more not okay because now they're dead because they have a ring that was similar to Dane's and then they both Uh vanished. So surely they're going to be resurrected, which is again, a great strategy for the bad guys to have. Uh, you love, you gotta love intelligent bad guys. (laughs) Um, so it's like, it's do or die time now. The party makes, has a quick deliberation. They're like, look, we gotta flee. We really want to find out what's deeper in here, but we gots to go. So when Kidu puts the shadow spawn in the lead, they run upstairs. As they're running up the stairs, Pelligree, who has recognized Yuna's voice, points out, 
that the party has caused as much havoc as the children of havoc cause and will likely be implicated mm -hmm. in these crimes and these situations. Uh, which is an interesting point. Uh, There's only so much redaction that can be gotten away with. Exactly. Uh, I, it, it does make you wonder what like an independent person, say you're just one of the arcanists and you're not like deep into anything, you're just one of them and you just hear about these people who have done all of these things and been involved in all of these massive events from even the beginning of the campaign. Like a wealthy family gets wiped out, yeah. uh, you know, one thing after another after another. It's like, yeah, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know about these people. Uh, and and they've been they are known to like have dealings, quote unquote, with the children of Havoc and with the Hex mm -hmm. and so forth. Like, mm, I don't know. Uh, so I might be pretty suspicious. But uh, speaking of suspicions, they reach the top of the stairs and hear a whole bunch of footsteps <sighs> on the opposite side of the door. You do not want to have to fight your way out through that many arcanists. No. So they decide to find another way out they r run back down to the room with the plinth and the bell jars and uh and Orin can tell with his detect magic still up that the bell jars have strong necromantic energy coming off of them which is immediate like oh no <laughs> and then they realize all the busts are of people that they recognize from the portraits from upstairs no! oh no what? they're in some kind of a crypt uh and they actually see, weirdly, Petragranius here. But you Whoa. know who isn't here? Shargelt herself. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. And so the conclusion, the deduction that they make is that Chargelt must be using Petragranius's body right now. She must, her ghost must have, must have possessed Petragranius, which is like, oh boy. Oh, no. Uh, they run up and they try to talk to Petragranius' spirit, which another very creepy point is that all of the heads look at them as they run mm -hmm. by. Like, they notice them and they're like, huh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if, uh, Baby David, if you listen to this, I'm wondering if this is a Return to Oz reference. For anybody who's seen Return to Oz with Queen Mombi and the Hall of Heads, super creepy. W such a creepy movie. Uh, go watch Return to Oz if you enjoy creepy kids movies. The Wheelers, man. That was my nightmare fuel for Dude, years. I watched that movie in my 20s and it freaked me out. I'd never seen it before. I was just watching it like the Wheelers are like genuinely sh like disturbing. And then like and then Mombi is like horrifying. Straight up. Horrific. Up. Yes. Especially the one that just starts screaming when she tries to escape. Right? That is uh, hands down the worst moment. Just a, a bodiless yes. head. Just and then screaming. like a headless body stumbling down the corridor as all the heads are shouting. Uh, anyway, oh my that's God. what this reminded me of. Uh, just a more yeah. low-key version where the heads are a lot chiller this <laughs> yes. time. And there are a bunch of ghosts just watching them walk down. <laughs> and they try to, sp uh, and Kidu tries to talk to Petragranius' ghost. She tries to respond, but they can't hear her. So they decide, let's free her. They lift the bell jar, freeing her spirit, and convince her to come with them. Uh, they, they then go back down to the obelisk room. Uh, and Orin again sees tons of necromantic energy around the obelisks. And he, seeing that there's a bell jar on the table, he's like, this must be the place where they make, they turn people into the ghosts, <laughs> into the bell jar ghosts. Uh, so they decide to keep going even deeper for another seven minutes. They finally reach a very cold area and a very long, dark 
tunnel. Uh, they're like, oh my god, what is happening? Uh, they start to run down the tunnel, and suddenly the tunnel has like a weird quality whereby a short amount of travel suddenly means you've traveled much, much further. They seem to be, they seem to be able to travel down the, the tunnel much faster than they expected. One last fun little twist for this place, being all topsy-turvy. Um, and they reach a door at the end. Guy can hear what sounds like underwater noises on the other side. They, they're like, we really hope that we're not going to open this and water comes in and floods the tunnel. But what choice do we have? They use their key. They open the door. And they see a massive cavern with a force field holding a lake above them. Uh, David specifically mentions a lake. So we know it's a lake, and inside of this cavern are nine standing stones, a hen, perhaps the bear bog swampy henge from before. Could this be, could this be where the henge key goes? We don't know, because they, they stopped recording at that point. The episode ended. But it's an intriguing thing to consider. So intriguing. <laughs> yeah. What an episode. What like, an that episode. Was, uh, as for NADPOD fans, fans of Not Another D&D Podcast, you may be familiar with the phrase thick-sewed. <laughs> this was a thick-sewed. <laughs> it absolutely thick-sewed. was. Yeah. Yes. So Targout is just sucking all of the other arcanists, all the Archmagi, she's just them. Uh, yeah, I guess. Is that what we're uh, assuming? It seems like it. It's it's or or that maybe they keep all of may, well I don't know because she can't possess them all, so maybe it's like she's it's like a being John Malkovich situation where she <laughs> just keeps inhabiting the body of a new person. Yeah. Uh, and so it's like as their bodies, because presumably their bodies would still get old and die. So they like when they die, I guess she just pops back to the bell jar and they pop her into another one. Maybe. I assume so. She must be doing it herself though. Well, maybe. We don't know. Maybe she has a whole cabal of people helping her. Maybe. Maybe the three watching figures that are around her grave outside. Yeah. Who maybe. knows? Uh, the deep lore and the amount of it that seems to have been planned from like dozens of episodes ago. Yeah. Really impressive. I, I My understanding is that uh, David had like built this for originally for like a homebrew campaign. So he'd been working on this world, I think, for a really long time. I think. I mean, you so can feel the depths. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It totally. is like there's so the world feels very. I mean, it's something that we've remarked on so many times, but in, yeah. especially in an episode like this, really vibrant. That kind of twist yeah. is like, oh, <laughs> as a fan, it it makes the world feel it makes the world feel completely different, but also even more alive. Yeah. Because it's like even more like, oh, these people have have lives that have existed long before we met them, and there's evidence of that, and we didn't even realize <laughs> that we were seeing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's awesome. What a trio of episodes. Yeah, it was exciting. We had like fun escape room, try and find the thing like quest. And then we had like a big fight and then just an absolute like law thick episode where everything just gets exploded that we thought we knew. It's so well done. Mm hmm. And the faceless footman dies. <laughs> <laughs> that's almost like one of the smallest parts of the episode. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, they also killed the faceless footman. And that was, that was kind of wild. <laughs> 
yeah, this thing that's been hanging over them for months. And, uh, exactly. Just, like, and that's like it. one of the earliest plots. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the earliest storylines is like, who is the faceless footman? And we never knew. No, we just killed them. <laughs> yeah. And I guess, yeah, technically we still don't know. We, no. <laughs> we just know they're dead, at least for the time being. Um, did you have any favorite moments? Oh, so many. Um, oh, God. I think finding out about Heron Elwind is has got to be it. Like, it was proper drop my phone, what just happened, storytelling. It was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Completely unexpected. Yeah, that was a big old twist. Yeah. That was a big, big twist. Um that might be that might be it for me as well um that i think the entire the entire sequence of juna managing to engage well engaging with him mm-hmm. engaging with Pellegrini, and then finally pushing deeper i think might be my favorite bit and like repeatedly trying to push because i love those like as much as as much as this is radio theater essentially <laughs> it is gamified radio theater i think what sets what sets actual play apart as a genre from radio theater is typically the 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 in um the inclusion of uncertainty and game mechanics mm-hmm. that add certain restrictions and so you can't just say oh i ask them this and find this out you have to say <laughs> i ask them this and then we all find out if you succeed and so when you have <laughs> pivotal story moments or character moments, especially story moments, that come down to roles. And it's like, even if it's not even an attack role, it's like, do you, does the person succeed on this save? Do you succeed on your persuasion check? Do you, you know what I mean? It's stuff like that. And you're just like, everybody's on yeah. the edge and it's like, ah, oh, can we do it? And we did it. <laughs> and I don't think people re- like you, as big a deal as it felt, like, oh, we finally pushed through Pellegrini's defenses. We didn't realize what we were gonna get, and I—I I, that was—I think that was some <laughs> primo TTRPG, especially D and D type content there, where like the the circumstances, the story, the plot, the DM's planning, and the dice all came together in a, a very effective twist reveal. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. That was uh, real, real masterful. But that was uh, that's uh, that feels like one of those moments that, like, when the campaign is over and you're highlighting some of the biggest twists and moments, you're like, "That was that was." Oh, do you remember that? That episode 69. that was one <laughs> absolutely blew me away. Episode sixty nine. <laughs> uh, on that note, <laughs> did you have any last bits that you wanted to to mention or bring up? Anything you wanted to highlight? Oh. I don't think I do. I, I'm still a bit blown away by the whole what we're gonna do in this hinge situation. Yeah. Can they can they rise up from there, do you reckon? Is that how we're gonna get Presumably, out of this? Probably. I mean I the thing is, I guess it depends on how long it takes for the arcanists to figure out where they went. Because if the arcanists never figure yeah. out what which I mean, they cut the they cut the face of Footman's wrist. So presumably there's like a trail of blood like just leading to the spot uh-huh. that they went through. So it's only <laughs> going to be a matter of time before they realize, oh, they went down there, and then there's only so many places they could have gone. Like there's only so many doors, there's just yeah. one hallway, you just go down it and follow it, and eventually you reach that door. So it's not they have there's clear still something of a clicking t- uh, uh, excuse me, a ticking clock element. So it's, I'm sure they're going to want to like figure out what's down there and what the purpose of the henge is and what the history of all that is. Is it related to the the pedals yeah. at all? I mean, henges feel kind of pedally, right? It's all feels very uh, feels like it's 
yeah, yeah it's the true. same kind of like oh like uh sort of like a pagan religion sort of like uh celtic sort of thing where it's like oh there's sevens and nines exactly. and all that yeah, sort of thing engines yeah and yeah yeah it it all makes <laughs> sense maybe it's tied to that who knows let's find out what what this hinge is do you reckon they've got a spare amulet somewhere just so that they can uh, actually get through the spell Ooh. upstairs or do you think that's going to hold them up for a while i wonder well what about a really powerful dispel magic spell like surely those people are capable right yeah, I just wonder if like all of Chargout's secrets are down there. Maybe she's really kind of kept it quite robust. True. Maybe, yeah, maybe there's some defense mechanism that activates if you try and brute force your way through it. Yeah, yeah. maybe. Oh. The Arcanists end up bringing themselves all down. Yeah. What if it's, uh, I mean, if it's like a pocket dimension and it's like, oh, we're trying, you know what I mean? Like they're trying to get down there yeah. and they're trying to tear it open and instead it, all the secrets get shunted into the uh, the astral plane or wherever. Oh, weird. Or or it all kind of like occupies like actual space in and like the whole city is just overrun by all of the underneath of Chargelt Hall Whoa. because it kind of pops out into actual space. Yeah, that would be wild. That would be cool. They just destroy yeah. the city. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of possible possibilities for on the other end. Like they get back and and Charkout Hall is no more. Uh, that would be amazing. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I can't wait to find out what happens in episode seventy. It's going to be great. Yeah. yeah, this is some good stuff. Some good good stuff, right? Here. Yeah. Um, with that, uh, how about we close it out? Hey, let's yeah, do that. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. Do you have anything you want to promote? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I guess if, if you enjoyed hearing me talk on this, go follow me on Twitter at Jeremy Cobb one. It's Cobb with two B's in the number one. I also have an Instagram page at the Cobbmeister on Instagram. And also I just launched a new um, movie science, excuse me, a new sci-fi movie review podcast called the quantum reactor uh, that I do with a friend of mine, Andrew Coons. So if you like sci sci-fi and people talking about sci-fi and <laughs> spaceship sound effects uh because the show has the show has a lot of all of those things so go check it out i like those yeah. things go check out the quantum reactor we've just done as of this recording we've released three episodes we've released one on moon we've released one on sunshine <gasps> we've released one on moon. everything everywhere all at once uh we got more coming up we got ones already recorded on stuff like terminator we got ai we have a follow-up episode planned for everything everywhere all at once we got all sorts of classic sci-fi things uh planned we got one for looper already recorded so uh yeah that, those will be coming out over the next few weeks so go check that out uh do you have anything alice that you would like to plug uh well i'm currently in a show uh called cyanide at the speakeasy uh we're in the collab tavern in elephant and castle and it is a fun immersive murder mystery so if you like to solve a murder mystery come along it's oh, great that sounds awesome that sounds really cool <laughs> it's really fun do you play more than one person yeah. or do you is it is it a spoiler to say who you no play? i'm i'm just a jazz singer um okay that's all i do i mean look singing jazz, <laughs> uh for murder mysteries it's necessary yes i think so you've got to create the vibe exactly. you are the vibe master <laughs> that, that is what i'm gonna call myself <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> uh and with that uh we'll catch you next time uh for another exciting episode of no small roles super fan chats you know what we should plug the show actually hey. join the no small roles discord yeah. It is so much loveliness. Yeah. 
And you can follow uh, No Small Roles. Obviously, you're already listening to it on podcasting platforms, but they have social media at No Small Roles on Twitter and I believe also on Instagram and join the No Small Roles Discord and Patreon. Go support the show on Patreon. They have so many cool things. They have subclasses that Baby David created. They have uh, they have like bonus bits and pieces. Uh, there's all sorts of fun things to do on the Discord or on the Patreon and on the Discord, honestly. You even get access to a special part uh, i believe of the discord if you're a patron uh so, so yeah go what are you waiting for go do it go go now <laughs> get out of here i got very first view now. Yeah. i loved it <laughs> uh let's try another anon for now let's give it a let's give it a one two three okay uh, okay one, two, okay three anon anon for now. For now. that was pretty good <laughs> yeah Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.